now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333 2020 401 and join the debate. Hello and a very good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to the final Scotland's talking for 2018. On the programme this morning after a turbulent week in British politics, what are your thoughts on the Prime Minister and what should happen next on Brexit? Here is our renewed mission. Delivering the Brexit that people voted for. Bringing the country back together. Defiant words, but do you see any way that can happen? Some people, like the SNP's Stephen Gethins, says we need to change more than the Prime Minister. The Tory civil war impacts on each and every one of us far, far too much, and it's not good enough. They're not fit for government. They need to step to one side. Others, like Labour's Ian Murray, think Brexit is too complicated for the politicians to sort out on their own. We really have to get past this and get on to, in my view, backing a people's vote. And after 11 o'clock, we'll be looking ahead to the 30th anniversary of the Lockerbie bombing. We've got a special interview with the former Justice Secretary Kenny McCaskill, who set free the only person convicted of the bombing. He's been telling us about he came to that decision and why he is sure McGrackey was guilty. People believe that it wasn't, you know, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald who shot John F. Kennedy. It was somebody else. There's always the grassy knoll at Dallas. I'll be off this planet and long gone and people will be saying it wasn't Libya. And I'll be looking for your reactions to a report which says bringing the lowest drink driving limits into the UK hasn't made any difference to road safety in Scotland. In my view, the most plausible explanation is the lack of enforcement. We'll be hearing from the professor who's been going through the figures, all coming up on Scotland's Talking. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. So, what have you made of all the goings on around Brexit and the future of the Prime Minister this week? Theresa May abandoned plans for a vote on her withdrawal deal at the 11th hour when she finally accepted she wasn't going to win. And she had to fight off an attempt to depose her also as a Tory leader and Prime Minister. Scottish Tory leader Ruth Davison says it shows Mrs May has got big cojones. She certainly struck a defiant note when she spoke outside number 10 after the result was announced. A significant number of colleagues did cast a vote against me and I've listened to what they said. Following this ballot, we now need to get on with the job of delivering Brexit for the British people and building a better future for this country. A Brexit that delivers on the vote that people gave, that brings back control of our money, our borders and our laws that protects jobs, security and the union, that brings the country back together rather than entrenching division. That must start here in Westminster, with politicians on all sides coming together and acting in the national interest. But while delivering Brexit is important, we also need to focus on the other issues that people feel are vital to them, that matter to them today today the issues that we came into politics to deal with. So here is our renewed mission, delivering the Brexit that people voted for, bringing the country back together and building a country that truly works for everyone. And when she wasn't fighting to stay in her job, she was shuttling back and forward, getting her air miles, speaking to other EU leaders to see if they would make changes which could persuade enough MPs to change their minds. 
Whatever happened to her mantra, no deal is better than a bad deal? She's survived, but will the Tories now unite behind her? It doesn't sound like it if you listen to Brexit rebel Jacob Rees-Mogg. In 1990 and in 1975, the then leaders of the Conservative Party, uh, Margaret Thatcher and Ted Heath, both won the highest number in the votes for the leadership. And they both resigned because they recognised they did not have sufficient support to carry on. And I think the Prime Minister should resign. She cannot get her deal through. Her very bad, unsatisfactory uh, withdrawal agreement, which is not supported by the DUP, by many Conservatives or by the opposition. And having failed in her main plank of policy, it would be constitutionally normal for her to retire from the fray. But what's the alternative, Mr Monk? The clock's still ticking down to the end of March and the decision on whether or not we have a deal has been put back until the middle of January. The Scottish Labour MP Ian Murray thinks the only way out of this is another referendum. I think 117 of the Conservative Party voting against Theresa May is a disastrous result. Anybody thought that if it crept into three figures she might be in trouble and given that she's already suggested that she wouldn't take the party into the next general election she really is a dead duck Prime Minister. The change of Prime Minister in terms of the Tory Prime Minister doesn't resolve the issue of Brexit and the vote of no confidence doesn't resolve the issue of how the opposition deal with Brexit. So we really have to get past this and get on to, in my view, backing a people's vote. It's a bit of a mess, is it not? What is your thoughts? Where would you go from here? What would you be advising your MPs or even MSPs? Which would you route would you be saying to them to take? It, it's true what they say. You know, it, it's there. Mrs. Thatcher, she, she, Mrs. Thatcher, Mrs. Mrs. May, sorry, who was trying to react like Mrs. Thatcher sometimes, um, was was indeed. Uh, she got through with that vote from the, the Tory party, but it wasn't exactly a huge vote of confidence. And she has now said she will not fight the next election. But there again, she went back and forward to Europe and we, we were watching some of these um, uh, television footage and, and the audio coming out from the various meetings and uh, it was suggested she was not cheat- treated with respect. What is your thoughts? O treble three twenty twenty. 401. Where would you like to go with it now? What should happen? Another vote? Just accept that we've got no deal and get on with it? Or, or as I say, a people's vote? I'm not, you know, what would happen there? Keep it going for another year, I suppose. O treble three twenty twenty four zero one. This is Scotland's talking. Uh, as I say, if you've got a comment, here's the ways to get in touch. You can text six one zero five four. Start your message with Ali. That's six one zero five four. Ali, just give me your thoughts, um, or indeed give me a call. That's the best way. That's why it's called a token. O treble three twenty twenty four zero one. That's the phone line number. Or our email address is Ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk and if you're on Twitter it's hashtag Scotland's Talking Joseph, good morning Good morning Alan and a lovely frisky sunny morning Frisky, is that how you feel this Sunday morning? Uh, <laughs> right <laughs> Right Ali, the woman is getting stabbed in the back with the, the, the knife of the, the, the long night they She's getting not... stabbed in the back by her own party Yes right? Yeah, right, okay and I always thought the Conservatives was one of these parties that would look after their, their thingies, you know, but it oh, seems to me... But they're split, you know, they're, yeah. they're, you've got the Rees-Mogg lot um, saying one thing, and then you've got others saying others, and it is, it is just a mess. And this yeah. this is all coming out because the Tory party is in a bit of a state over this. This was yeah. their argument, it was never ours, it was their argument. Yeah, uh, and the thing about it, Ali, is 
see all this referendums. The people of Britain voted, not Scotland to remain. The people, the four countries voted, and that's the vote it should stay, Ali. This jumping on to another thing, and I think it's not going to get us anywhere, Ali, because we've still got to deal with Brussels after it. You know what I mean? So it doesn't matter what the day, Brussels is still holding the, the ground against us, Ali. Mm-hmm. They'll tell us what to do. So what's the point of having another referendum when it's just going to wash aside, Ali, and Brussels will just go, no, we'll tell you what to do. Do you, you not know? think, though, if there was another, another referendum and with a bit more clarity on what would happen to Britain, the United Kingdom, I hear what you're saying, it was a vote for the United Kingdom, never mind sectioning off Scotland said this, Wales said that, the United Kingdom voted to move out. But we didn't really have enough facts. Or do you think you did? Which way, can I ask which way you voted? I voted to leave, Ali. Right, and because, would you still stick with that? Yes, Ali, because they are ripping us off with everything, Ali. Now they've got even charges now to leave the country and have a visa for £6 if you want to go to Europe now. So this is, Well, we're not going to be part of them. Why shouldn't, I, they? Why shouldn't they? I you know, we, we, we're talking about introducing tourist taxes tax, into yeah, Edinburgh no, and Aberdeen yeah. and places yeah. like that. So what's the difference? But the thing about it, Ali, is give give the the lady tried her best. She tried her best, but she had the the knife in her back, you know, you know, and that's it. So she's just uh, doing what she can do, and then when she leaves, we'll see who can t- do the job better than her. But she know? says she's not going to leave until until she gets the deal done. Well, so she, hope... she could be this uh, lame duck forever. Yeah, but I hope she, she this time, Ali. I hope she maybe try her best, you know, and see. If, but of course. These ones that's Jason did tell me, they are actually, they're not t- going to turn the, the clock back. They'd want to go ahead and get her out, you know what I mean? Okay. Joseph, thank you very much indeed. She's, she can try her best. I thought that's what she'd been doing. Philip, hello. Good morning. How do you, how do you, how do you okay, you fine, thank you. Well, in the words of an Elton John song, it's a sad situation and it's getting more absurd. We're not coming out covered in glory, are we? Uh, she's, the woman is an embarrassment. She completely mucked up. In what way? In what way did she muck it up? Uh, well, well, basically she tried to do her best, you know, but the, the, the problem is that there's people in her own party. I mean, the, the Europe has is, 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 is been a bugbear for the Tories for years. Yep. It's, it's caused civil war with them, sort of thing. She's tried to reach a compromise, right, but these, these people are saying, sorry, we're not, we're not going to budge. And, and, and the fact that it's now resulted in a, in a leadership ch- uh, uh, challenge vote. Um, which which she of... won, which she won, and she can't be challenged again for another year. So yeah, she, she's she, there to carry it through. She wants to carry it through. Yeah, but the problem is, you know, that the scale of the people, 117 people, that's a third of her own party, has voted against her. How can she honestly see she's got a mandate now? Well, I think she knows she doesn't, which is why she said she will go before the next election, but she she wants to see this through, this Brexit thing through. Do you think she's been strong enough when she's been over in Europe? Do you think she's actually been able to, you know, just stand up to them and say, no, this is not going to happen, or this is not what we're going to do? Do you think she's um, a good negotiator? Um, well, <laughs> that... Um, that... Um TV clip, you know, where she was supposed to be arguing the toss with uh, mm. Monsieur Junker. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, it's a pity I couldn't lip read, you know. I just she took him to task, couldn't. although he, she, he said that he didn't say what she said. She, he said so. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, well, he said he was on record as being nebulous. It was on record. It was. He didn't actually. Um, he didn't actually admit that he had used the word nebulous. I think that was it. Right, something nebulous, like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah but um, honestly, she's facing an uphill struggle, Ali. Yeah, she's put off the vote until about the 21st of January. It has to be. But there's no way, she's, there's not a cast chance in hell she's going to get that vote through. The only thing she's going to have to do is resign. Mm-hmm. That's all she can do. But the problem is, if she does resign, who's got to replace her? Well, that's it. We then have another Conservative Prime Minister that we didn't vote for. Yeah, this, this is this fixed term Parliament, Ali. I've never been in favour of that at all. You know, in, in many countries, you know, if, if a head of state resigns, the government has to resign with them. Right. And it, and it should happen here as well. And if that was the case, that would bring some of our, um, our own party into, into touch, wouldn't it? If yes. they thought they might lose their jobs. Yes. Mm. Concentrate the mind, Ali. <laughs> Something like that, yes. <laughs> Interesting times ahead, Philip. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Still nobody's given me the solution, though. Where does she go from here? Yes, it's all right saying she can uh, hang on in there, but, yeah, as uh, Philip was saying, who takes over? John, good morning. Good, good morning, Ali. Merry Christmas to you when it's going to happen. Thank you very much. Okay. And a happy new year, because <laughs> it didn't seem like it would be. Now, let's carry on. I was speaking to a couple of MPs the other day from the Conservative and the, and the SNP. The SNP is the biggest person who has tried to stop this referendum, because they can't control their own government, and here, they're in trouble now, and they're trying to... to sort of, even Tony Blair's getting into the action now. I mean, Theresa May is, is the best person they've got to try and get some what's going on. Because it's going to end up a no deal, whether we like it or not. And do you I think mean, she's the best, still the best person to deal with it on behalf of the United Kingdom? Definitely. I've got this few characters in the Conservative Party. This Mog, is it called Mog with the glasses? He's oh, yes. Reasonable. Um, and the other one, he's... He's <laughs> <laughs> it's combat. But again, they're all fine for their own self, are they? They're fine for... <clears throat> They're fine for themselves, for their own party, to get their own... Theresa May will not resign. She's the best they've got. She'll fight till the end. And they're going to end up a no deal, because there's no other way. I mean, a referendum is another way to space. Mm-hmm. A people's vote, we've already voted. The people, millions of people have voted to stay out. And you've got to go against the people. And that's going to take, it's going to take, oh, maybe years to get a go going. So no deal be the answer. Tell this, this people in Europe where to go because they're not going to get their money and they're telling us what to do all the time. We're going to get our own backup and fight for ourselves. There's no way of bending down to the Europe. Europe's just taking the mickey out of us, Ali. OK, John, thank you very much indeed. Europe's taking the mickey out of us. A no deal and allow um, the current Prime Minister, Theresa May, to carry on with negotiations. What are your thoughts? Do you agree with our callers there? O treble three twenty twenty four o one. As I say, the program is all about opinions. The final one of two thousand and eighteen. So let's have yours. Don't be shy. Don't shout at the radio. I can't hear you. Lift the phone. Give me a call. O treble three twenty twenty four o one.
You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. We're talking at the moment about Brexit, the future of the Prime Minister. Where does she go from here? Where does the country go from here? And your opinion's more than welcome. That's what the programme's all about. Get it off your chest and on the radio. 033 401 is the number to join us. Irene's done that. Hello, Irene. Thanks for calling. Hello. Good morning to you. How are you this morning? I'm fine, thank you. Good, good. So what's your thoughts then? Um, I just think that um, it's been too long a drawn-out process and they need to get on with it. I don't think um, the, the Europeans are going to let us go that easily. If, if we left easily, then I think there's other countries in the background kind of looking and think, oh, right, we don't like it either. We're coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not going to renege and, and go back and make any further deals with her. Um, so I think it's going to have to be a no deal. So you think that the those that are in charge of the um, uh, European gravy train don't want us to go? They don't, and, and if they let us go too easily, other countries could say, yeah, yeah UK, UK got this deal, we can uh, get it as well. I think there's other countries in the background watching what we're doing and, um, and they'll be wanting out as well. Right, um, so in, in Europe, they're not making any moves. They're not making any yeah. concessions. Um, is it now time for Theresa May to stop country hopping and just get on with something else or, yeah. or get on with the no yeah. deal? Is that what you're saying? Take yeah. a no deal and just get on with it. Yeah, because while all this Brexit is going on, everything else is getting pushed to the side. I mean, they're hiding the fact that universal credit's causing huge poverty. They're hiding everything. Um, and concentrating everything on this Brexit when the country's just fallen apart. Mm-hmm. And would you go for another referendum, a, a sort of people's vote, or would you rather see a general election? What, what do you want I to see? I would see a general election. I don't, I don't agree with another people's vote. How many right. people's votes do you have? If, it's, if it doesn't go certain folks' way, right. you have another one. Oh, I didn't and, like the result. Let's do it again. Yeah, and they didn't allow Scotland a second vote. So it shouldn't be one rule for them and one rule for us. What do you think then, if there was another general election? Where do you think it would go? Would we just not end up in the same situation we're in? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think there's nobody that's um, going to manage to sort this out um, tomorrow, next Mm. week. Um, And uh, they're going to have to start from scratch as well. So it's just going to go on for years and years. So I think Theresa May's got to see it through. Uh, get the no deal, and then sort the country out from there. Well, uh, I don't think she will sort the country out from there. No, no, think, she won't. No, no. But once she gets that passed, she'll be kicked out, and then whoever's taking over, and there's, there's a motley crew, and there's not anyone that I would vote for. A motley crew, says Irene. <laughs> I think there'll be a lot of people shaking their heads at the radio at the moment, agreeing with you. <laughs> We're supposed to look to our politicians for guidance. God, are we kidding? And yeah. there's not one that has, I have any confidence in whatsoever. I know. There's certain people stand up in the Houses of Parliament and I cringe when I hear them speaking. You know, it's, it's just awful. They don't live in our world. That's, that's, that's for, for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> Irene, thank you very much indeed for your call. OK, thanks. Thank Holly. you. Have Bye-bye. And Bye. you too. All the best. Bye-bye. Um, here's one that says, I'm a bit confused. This is Martin and Annan. The backstop is stopping a deal. But if there is no deal, there is no backstop. In both cases, there is no backstop. So why don't the EU be a bit more reasonable? 
Now, that would be a bit sensible, but, um, they, you know, why, as, as I was saying, they're, they're not going to let the UK go. They value the money we put in. It's as simple as that. They don't want to go. They want to stay in charge. They've been used to being in charge. Uh, Struan, hello. Good morning to you. Good morning, Ali. Yourself, you I'm, I'm okay, actually. Yes, not bad Good. at all. Yourself? I'm fine. I I love listening to your program in the morning, and my wife and I, we have a lot of discussions about all sorts of things, but there's a very simple solution to this Brexit problem, and it lies in the hands of the Scottish government. They need to support Theresa May in this European exit thing, and uh, the, the payback is we get our independence referendum. That's the price of Scottish support for Theresa May's Brexit. What do you think of that? Um, <laughs> Nicola Sturgeon supporting Theresa May. Well, I mean, she's all for voting for supporting the people of Scotland and looking after their interests. Mm-hmm. And is that not their number one priority as an independence referendum? And I don't think they'll ever get a better opportunity to try and secure that from Westminster than just now. So Nicola tomorrow morning should lift the phone to um, Theresa May and say, here's the deal. We will support you through it if you give us the independence referendum as soon as you possibly can. I couldn't have put it better myself. Right. That's just spot on, isn't it? Spot on, isn't it? I I, I like your style. Um, First Minister... Um, Nicola Sturgeon, if you're listening, is that is that something you'd like to do? Um, Struan's come up with an idea. We're looking for ideas here to get both governments out of the sticky stuff that we're in at the moment because it's our futures and our our um, jet future generations that they're playing around with at the moment, Struan, isn't it? Well, it is, but, I mean, if things work out the way that everybody tells us it's going to work out, do you not think it's a small price to pay to take a little bit of pain for a few years, you have the independence referendum, and then if it works out the way everybody predicts, then Scotland can apply to go back into Europe, if that's the will of the people. That's just what I was... Well, yeah. The, do you think it's the will of the people in Scotland at the moment to, to leave the United Kingdom? Obviously not. They had a referendum on that. Yeah, and, but that was uh, a while ago. The, you're, the you're, Scottish people wanted to remain. But, but you're calling for another Scottish one. Vote. You're calling for another one. Ah, that's an independence referendum. That's yes, that's what I'm talking thing. about. That's what I'm talking about. An independence referendum. Do you think the SNP would get independence? Would the people of Scotland vote for it now? Oh, I wouldn't presume to know such things as that. <laughs> Are you an independence supporter then? Well, in actual fact, when Alex Salmond was First Minister, I did find myself uh, ticking the, the yes box for independence. Right. Uh, whether I would still feel that way the next time it comes round, I don't know. Really? You would change your mind just because of personalities rather than the feeling of the country? I don't know. Mm. I'd, have to, I'd have to have that ballot paper in front of me, and that's when I would make my decision. And do what your wife tells you. Thank you very much. Pretty Denise. much. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Strewn with his thoughts. Betty, how are you? Hello, Betty. Speak. Hi, there. I'm fine, thank you. Good, I'm good, good. What's oh, your I'm thoughts? I'm just coming in this radio down. Yes, you should have done that ages ago. Oh, well, I was listening to it. <laughs> right. What happened? That, that gentleman there, that's just a piece of rubbish, expecting Nicola to agree to this. I mean, like, that's not what she's there for. 
You know, I mean, like, I think we should just walk away. Don't pay them any money, because why should we? But if it's in the agreement that we are due them that money anyway. No, no. But, but we but are. We're due them that money anyway. No, they're playing hardball with us. Theresa May is doing her best. What else can she do? She's, she's put our points forward, we hope, but we don't know because we weren't there when all this agreement was going on. She's came back to this country and said, this is what they're going to agree to. And we're saying, no, we do not want that. This is what we want. And if they can't do it, we'll walk away. Don't pay you anything. And if they're going to charge us for going over to their countries, we can do the same. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. why? Why could we not just say no, just walk away and forget? Now, on a lighter note, well, maybe no lighter note, SNP has just been saying, have been putting through the Parliament about gingerbread man. How ridiculous is this when this country is in such a state and they're worried about gingerbread men? No longer allowed to call them gingerbread men. Why? Why? No, I, I mean, don't like, know. I, do, I give up on that Ridiculous, one. isn't I thought, it? I thought, absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. I did think to myself, oh, for goodness sake. Yes, I mean, the life. country is in such a state, yep. and they're worried about this. For goodness sake, grow up and get this all sorted out. That's my plea for today. Betty, thank, thank you. you. I hope you feel better. <laughs> yes, I do. Bye-bye yes. now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, getting it off her chest and on the radio. You can as well. Here's the number. Or travel 3 2020 401. Scottish Parliament and their canteens no longer allowed to sell gingerbread men. It's just gingerbread figures. And you wonder that I get upset about the quality of MSPs we have when that's all they've got to talk about. I agree with Betty. Betty, get yourself standing for the Scottish Parliament. So some more comments coming in regarding uh, Brexit and we welcome yours, of course. Let's go to uh, the text, first of all. And here's one that says, Theresa May got the poison chalice. I tend to agree with that, actually. Yeah, I think she did. Anyway, she chose to go for it and uh, stand for the position um, that she now um, has as Prime Minister. Theresa May have got the ch poison chalice. This one goes on to say it's John that's uh, texting in here. Uh, she's damned if she does and damned if she doesn't. God bless her, she's a tough cookie. I fear we were offered something to buy that really wasn't for sale. It takes a two-thirds majority to get something passed in Parliament. I don't quite understand why something as momentous as this was to be decided on such a small margin either way. I voted out, although I changed my mind. I've now changed it back and out of a no deal. All right, I think I get that. For 27 other different thinking countries to ratify the deal in 37 minutes suggests to me it can't be much good for us. Thank you for that. OK, and here's one in from Roderick. And he says, all right, this is quite um, a good one because he, he knows what he's talking about here. Your caller's saying the EU isn't playing ball. Why on earth should the EU change the rules because the UK decides to leave? Let's put it this way. If you're the member of a golf club and then you decide to give up your membership, you don't demand that the club changes the rules as you walk out the door. Good thoughts there. If you're a member of a club, golf club or whatever, and you decide, that's it, I've had enough, I'm leaving, you cannot demand, surely, that the others change the rules. As for the EU taking all our money, 
The EU membership, Roderick continues, costs the UK 0.5% of our GDP. That's the equivalent of collecting 300 quid a week wages and paying £1.50 membership fee to a club. That fact just wasn't on the side of a bus. Okay, so the equivalent of getting £300 a week in wages and paying £1.50 membership fee to be a member of the club. That's Roderick's thoughts. You agree? You disagree? You think his figures are right? Oh, treble three, twenty twenty four oh one. Ian, how are you? Not bad. Long Good time thing. since I've spoke to you. Indeed. What do you think about this mess we're in then? The mess is totally at the hands of the Tory party. They decided, for once and for all, to crush Farage and UKIP. Mm-hmm. Now, it's amazing and amongst all this mess that Farage is extremely quiet. But uh, the Tory party, since Cameron took over, have just made one blunder after another. They succeeded in wiping out the Liberal Democrats. David Cameron would have beat Usain Bolt to get away from the referendum result if it had been a race. Mm-hmm. Theresa May, the thing that annoys me with Theresa May is a little man that keeps walking behind her in the background, wearing back, backroom glasses. That's her husband. Mm-hmm. He seems to be at more of these meetings than some Tory oh, government ministers. And he's heavily involved in banking, asset funds, hedge funds, etc. But you see, Theresa May, the Tory party can't make a right decision for constantly being wrong. She called the general election and promptly got 30 Tory MPs sacked. A lot of her own party haven't forgiven her for this. But it's really interesting in the UK as a whole that the the UK, both here in Scotland and in England, are being run by minority parties. The DUP basically cracked the whip and up here the Greens cracked the whip. We're really... You should, you should always have a plan B, and nobody in government at the moment has got any plan Bs anywhere. Right. I would walk, because Yonkers let something slip last week, where he said if Britain was out, they would have been a, they'd be in a better bargaining position, because we need to sell our goods, but we're the sixth biggest consumer market in the world. How many German cars do you see driving in the streets of the UK? Are they going to drive so many if there's a 20-25% tariff? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm self-employed. We've already been warned because what everybody's taking their eyes off the ball with is the currency slide. That's now going to come and bite us because I've been told that come the new year, prices are going to rocket for the commodities I use. The price of a holiday. Uh, you want to go to Florida? At 121? You've got to be kidding. Mm-hmm. Ian, Ian, I'm going to have to stop you there simply because I've got the news coming up at the top of there. But thank you very much indeed for your comments. We'll continue with this after the news at 11. And also, the, this Friday is going to be the 30th anniversary of the Lockerbie bombing. And we'll be hearing from Scotland's former Justice Secretary, Kenny McCaskill, who took the decision to re- release the only man ever convicted of the crime. We'll be talking about that. And also how four years ago Scotland brought in, brought in the toughest drink-drive rules in the UK. Hasn't made one slightest bit of a difference. We'll talk about that as well. 
Scotland's Talking, the podcast. This Friday is going to be the 30th anniversary of the Lockerbie bombing. 270 people died when the Pan Am jumbo jet was blown up and the wreckage fell onto the town in Dumfries and Galloway. 270 people died, 259 on board Flight 103 and 11 people on the ground. This morning, we're hearing from Scotland's former Justice Secretary, Kenny McCaskill, who took the decision to release the only man ever convicted of the crime, the former Libyan agent, Abdel Basset Almagrahi, on medical grounds. He's given Scotland's talk in his only broadcast interview for the anniversary, and here he is in conversation with our reporter, Paul Kelly. Like everybody in Scotland, I'm conscious of where I was when it happened. I was actually at home with my uh, eldest son, who was then a babe in arms. And obviously as a lawyer, because I was a lawyer in private practice in Scotland, I knew many people who had been involved. My direct involvement, which had never been anticipated by me in a million years, came about very early in the jurisdiction of the first Scottish and uh, National Party government. Uh, I had only been Justice Secretary for about a fortnight when it became quite clear that the United Kingdom were seeking to enter into a prisoner transfer agreement with Libya. Uh, there was only one Libyan prisoner in Scotland. I think it was the only Libyan prisoner we had ever had. And it was quite clear uh, that this was a deal for Megrahi. At that stage, most of it was dealt with by the then First Minister Alex Salmond because it was constitutional. I think the Labour government had forgotten that the devolution had occurred. They had forgotten that the SNP were the administration uh, and they had simply assumed that it would go through. Now, uh, our uh, government objected to that. Uh, but it was made quite clear by Jack Straw, who was the Justice Secretary of the United Kingdom, uh, that they were going to do this prisoner transfer agreement. The reason they were going to do it was because they were keen for BP to get an oil deal with the Libyans. And the Libyans had made it quite clear if there was no prisoner transfer agreement relating to Megrahi, there would be no oil deal and it would go to the Americans. And I vividly recall the telephone conversation I had with Jack Straw, who made it quite clear that this was non-negotiable it was for the interests of British Petroleum. And, I mean, how, how did it go from that to a decision that, at least publicly, you took sole responsibility to release McGrathy on compassionate grounds? Well, initially the discussion was only whether there should be a prisoner transfer agreement, and that went on for months and indeed over a year. And then in September 2008, the following year from when it had happened, uh, it was diagnosed that McGrahy had terminal prostate cancer. And at that stage, it also began to become clear uh, that there was going to be an application in due course, it wasn't sure when, uh, for a compassionate release on the basis of his terminal prognosis. Uh, and therefore, it fell to myself. It was decided that the decision would be mine. It was normally the decision. It has always been the decision of the Justice Secretary to grant or not to grant compassionate release applications. Uh, so uh, the decision was left with me. I rejected the prisoner transfer application and I have to say it's the only time I've ever rejected a prisoner transfer application. I would normally grant them. And I did so because I spoke to Eric Holder, who at that stage was the Attorney General of the United States of America. He had before that been the Deputy Attorney General of the United States of America. And he told me that when the United States, Great Britain and Libya uh, had been supported by the UN and entered into an agreement for the trial at Camp Zeist in the Netherlands, an agreement had been reached in which it was specified that if McGrath or indeed his co-accused or anybody else who was convicted of the crime was imprisoned, 
that sentence would be served in Scotland. That would presumably come about because the Libyans wouldn't have wanted to serve a sentence in the United States and it suited them to say that they would go there. I asked the British authorities, they refused to say, they just said it was up to us. But Eric Holder had been there, he had negotiated it, he had been with Kofi Annan when these things had been signed off and I felt that trumped what would have been my normal decision to have granted a prisoner transfer application to send him back. I then had to deal with compassionate release and that too is specified in legislation and there is clear guidance in Scotland how you address compassionate release. It happens not regularly but not infrequently. People die of cancer, they have ill health and you know serious offenders and less serious offenders are released uh, and invariably if the criteria is met because the criteria first of all has to be that they pose no threat and obviously no threat was posed here because he was going back to Libya, uh, that uh, they would agree to terms and conditions, and that was indicated both by McGrahy and by the Libyan authorities. Uh, but it also has to meet with the approval of the parole board who granted it. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, there has to be a prognosis on the medical criteria, and that is issued to the Justice Secretary from the Director of Health and Social Care at the Scottish Prison Service. Now, the individual who was the director then spoke to the person treating McGrahy, uh, spoke to many others, and came to the conclusion that the criteria of three months uh, from life uh, expectancy had been met. He said it had been uh, confirmed. And on that basis, I authorised his release. I refused the prisoner transfer application because of the agreement between Britain and America and Libya. I granted the compassionate release because he met the criteria that we have in law and guidance in Scotland. And I believe that uh, it's the values that we have in Scotland that people should basically be allowed to die with some dignity and that families also have some rights because his family had committed no offence and he was sent home to die. Were you prepared for the the strength of reaction both in favour of and against the decision that you got not just here but from America and from from all over the world? Well, you were never going to be sat, able to satisfy everybody. That was clear. There were people who, uh, frankly, didn't want him in prison. They wanted him hanged, drawn and quartered and whatever else could be done to dissolve his body in acid or whatever. There were others who wanted him out and, you know, uh, you have those two extremes. I had to follow the laws and guidance and that I did. Uh, the only issue I've ever had is the gross hypocrisy of those in power. Uh, because I was condemned for the decision. I was condemned for meeting with McGrahy. But first of all, when we deal with the Americans, we have to remember that several months before I met with McGrahy, Hillary Clinton, the Secretary of State, engaged with Gaddafi's son and said that the United States was keen to do business with the USA. A few weeks before I released uh, McGrahy, uh, Obama, uh, President Obama, uh, shook Gaddafi's hand. McGrahy was a foot soldier for Gaddafi. The British were just as culpable. Uh, shortly after I released McGrahy, the police service of Northern Ireland were training Gaddafi's elite forces. It was Tony Blair and Gordon Brown who embraced Gaddafi in the desert. It was they who signed the deal. So the hypocrisy of the major powers uh, was breathtaking. I can understand why some victims' families are aggrieved. And there's nothing I can do to take away their pain. I listen to them and I respect them. Equally, I'm conscious there are other victims' families who take different views. There's Mr. Swire and the Reverend Mosey. I don't agree with them in terms of uh, Mr. McGrahy, but I also know and respect their position. So you could never satisfy everybody. 
you had to do what was right and according to the laws of Scotland, and that's what I did. I understand and respect the views of the victims' families who are deeply opposed to the release. That's their right, and I can't dissuade that. Equally, those who think that Mr McGrahy is some choir boy, I've always disagreed with. Mr McGrahy was a Libyan agent. He was a senior Libyan agent. He was head of security for Libyan Arab Airlines. Gaddafi ran a regime that was, you know, a family business based around a tribe. McGrahy didn't happen to just come into Malta by accident. He was there by design. I don't think anybody thinks he was the bomber, but to suggest that he just happened to be caught up in circumstances beyond his knowledge, it's just incredible. And you mentioned there McGrahy as, as a foot soldier. Others have, as as you've disagreed with there, referred to him as a fall guy. But do you think there's a similarity there in that, in some ways, you have been set up as, as a fall guy for a decision that ultimately benefited the United States and UK governments? Absolutely. Uh, Scotland was a cog in a wheel. I was the uh, person that had to take the decision. We actually delivered what they wanted. We didn't do it because of their requests. We did it because it adhered to the laws and the governments of Scotland. But America and Britain had been pushing for that. And the reason McGrahy and FEMA were brought to trial was that they were the highest level of Libyan officials involved that the Libyans would release and the lowest grade that the British and the Americans would accept. Because the other thing that was quite clear was that the British and the Americans, when they brokered Camp Zeist, gave an assurance to Libya that there would be no regime change. They were not going to touch Gaddafi. They were not going to touch Gaddafi's close family. The Americans were looking for trade as the British were looking for trade. The Americans and the British were looking to have Libya as a bulwark against Islamic terrorism. And indeed, Libya got things out of this as well. It wasn't a one-way street. The PSNI, as I think I said earlier, were training you know, Gaddafi's elite. And Britain and America were you know, trying to curry favour with Gaddafi because they thought they could bring him on side. And they did seek to set Scotland up to take the blame. It suited them to heap, you know, opprobrium on Scotland and actually at the same time salivate over deals for oil, munition sales and indeed the friendship of Gaddafi as a bulwark against Islamic terrorism. Given the the time that's passed, the the regime changes that have been involved since then, the, the people who are no longer with us who were involved, do you think there will ever be answers as to who bombed the plane and as to why? Well, Libya bombed it. You know, I think that's quite clear. As a senior policeman once put it to me, you know, Libya didn't bomb it on its own. They bombed it in association with others and the Palestinians and the Iranians had been involved. They were all actively part of it. But it was Libya that did it. And the reason for that is, first of all, the evidence shows that Libya did it. Secondly, Colonel Gaddafi said and admitted that Libya did it. And thirdly, not only did he say and admit that Libya did it, there were other factors that showed that Libya did it. Why did they do it? Because for decades, it's hard now to forget we've had so much recent terrorism. But those of us who are older than yourself, such as myself, can remember bombings at airports in Vienna and in Rome. There was an eye for an eye going back and forward. There were attacks on cruise liners. There was bombings by the West, including killing, apparently, uh, Gaddafi's stepdaughter. And what triggered the Lockerbie bombing was that in uh, July 
of uh, 1988, the United States, their warship US Vincennes, brought down a Libyan airliner uh, flying over the Gulf of Hormuz. Uh, that killed all aboard, actually, more than died at, tragically at Lockerbie. And revenge was sought. You'll always have people, as people believe that it wasn't, you know, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald who shot John F. Kennedy, it was somebody else. There's always the grassy knoll at Dallas. I'll be off this planet and long gone and people will be saying it wasn't Libya and it wasn't this or it wasn't that. I actually think, you know, it was and the evidence shows that. I think there are doubts about whether McGrahy's conviction is safe. But just because the conviction isn't safe doesn't mean he wasn't involved. And that's where I dispute the position of others. And if you could go back and make the same decisions all over again, do you think you would do anything differently? No, I think at the end of the day it was constrained. You know, you just have to follow what's there at the time. People can disagree with the decision, and many do, but they can't disagree with the methodology which was used, which followed the laws and guidance of Scotland. And as I say, the only disagreement I have is with the hypocrisy of those who oppose, but yet connived with the Libyans. That, to me, is sickening. Scotland's former Justice Secretary, Kenny McCaskill, talking there to Paul Kelly for Scotland's Talking. Interesting to hear that uh, ahead of the 30th anniversary, which is this Friday. Uh, Alison, hello, good morning. Hello, good morning. At least it's not snowy. Well, not at the moment, <laughs> but you never know what's around the corner, Alison. I know, I so know. So what's your comments no. this morning? What's your thinking about uh, Lockerbie? I disagreed with Kenny McCaskill. In what I, did, way? Uh, I didn't think McGrath should have been released. I think, although he did everything, and he was stitched up, he was just the front man that gets set up by Tony Blair and Brown and all the other hypocrites down south. But I'm afraid we've got to come, there's got to come a point when human rights stops. See, when you commit a crime and you do the, ti- do the time, your human rights should be completely forfeited. When you go to jail, you're there for a punishment. You shouldn't have uh, voting rights for a start. Mm-hmm. All these things, these people are going to jail to be retrained or whatever, so they're not a threat, they're not an imposition to society. But nowadays, we're catering more for them than we are for the people that don't commit the crimes. But what, what about uh, what about Kenny McCaskill's explanation there, that it was on medical grounds? I mean, he'd been told by the medical team that were treating uh, McGachie that, you know, three months, that was about it, that he had to live, he, ha- he had terminal cancer. Surely you, you, you can't disagree with it on compassionate grounds. No. He shouldn't have got out he as far as you, I don't think he should. I think he should have died in prison. OK, Alison, thank you very much indeed. It's 26 minutes after 11. 033-2020-401 is the number. If you have a comment you would like to make, we'd love to hear from you. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. And we were hearing about uh, this Friday going to be the 30th anniversary of the Lockerbie bombing. We heard from Scotland's former Justice Secretary, Kenny McCaskill, on the reasons uh, why he released the Libyan agent Abel Dasset al-Megraki. And that was on medical grounds, of course. Uh, your comments? Well, we've got a few coming in. Here's one from Patrick. Patrick, good morning to you. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. Um, so what's your thoughts on this then? I don't think it should have been released. 
actually, if I'd have gone myself, I would have shot myself. Because my wife and I were on that plane coming. We, we, we nursed one of the children, young Jonathan, and his mum. They, they were from Han. They were here based in Han. And the, the father got sent home the day before, and they came on that plane. That, he meant he lost his wife and his son. Plus, the, the other people that were on it, there's a young, uh, a colored couple, a lady and two daughters and a son and a daughter just sitting behind us. They all went as well. The other ones, the young students are all joined themselves and I dealt with a man at the back who was ill. Um, when I got back to Frankfurt, they asked me to come down to the police station to give a statement because I was one of the last ones on the plane. And when I went down, I got told the ring, asked me about heart, and I told them who was sitting beside me and who else was sitting close. Now, the plane leaving London was an hour late in leaving, and the, the bomb was due to go off over water, that's what I was told, and the plane was late in leaving. It should have been over the Atlantic, and they wouldn't have got many of the bodies, and that's what it was supposed to go off. And it went off because it was late in leaving. And would be enough five minutes of being over water. And to say he's, not, he's innocent, as far as I'm concerned, he was guilty, because he was, he was doing Gaddafi's bidding. And his, his, his family were well looked after. They were staying here. He got, every, he got everything in the prison what he wanted. I don't know. I just I feel, I feel angry about it for such a thing to happen. I Sorry, on you go. When, when I was going back to London to get the plane over to Frankfurt, I spoke to the, young, uh, the stewardess that we got up and I asked her why we veered off. She said it was an accident up ahead and we veered off. Now, I got her back down. I didn't know I didn't know nothing to get into the house that had harmed. My children came through and said there'd been an accident. A plane, a plane uh, over Lockerbie, they uh, came down to Lockerbie. And then when I went back to, when I was going back to Frankfurt, I spoke to the young uh, stewardess, and she says, I said, I know why we've got the last of news. She says, yes, my boyfriend was on the plane. He just took over to go to London. She was a bit upset about it. Mm. And there's a huge thing that happened. It's crazy. And to see, I mean, all oh, right, passionate grounds. But where was the passionate for the rest of the children on that plane? There was no passionate there. I'm sorry. It's just how I feel. I, I can understand how you feel, being so close to, um, again, just just to, to clarify, you were on the plane going from where to where with these people on, on the board then? From Frankfurt to London. Right. And then, I was in, in Frankfurt. And then the plane was going from Frankfurt... Or no, not. from from Frankfurt to London, then London over to America. Right. We, we came off. We had to come off at London to get a plane to Edinburgh. Right. Now, if that plane had been going to a Presswick, we'd been away with the plane as well. That's how close it. That's how close it come. But when I got told that the, the plane, the plane we flew was was a we only flew twenty seven thousand feet because it was a smaller plane. But when it went on the bigger plane, it was held back for some reason at London. It was late and leaving. I think it was about an hour late and leaving. And uh, as I say, when I got back, I got asked questions where people come over. The police came up. I had my daughter and my friend with me. They took us in to speak to the people down in uh, Frankfurt. And they were telling me about it. And they asked me if I recognised any of the cases because I was one of the last... Me and my wife were one of the last ones to get in before they went, before they went on. And I, I couldn't tell them about the plane, but I could tell them who was sitting beside me and who was sitting opposite me and that sort of thing. I don't know if they've got names for that, I don't know. Mm. But it's, it, 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 it breaks my heart sometimes. 
So as the, the 30th anniversary looms close this Friday, it must, um, as we can hear in, in, in your voice and the story you're telling, it's bringing back um, all over again then. Does, yes. it, does it ever go away? No. 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 People, oh, sorry. We think about it. We think we're lucky. Mm. But, but at the same time, I don't show all the time. It's because I'm talking about it. It brings it all back. And I feel sorry for them. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm sorry. Patrick, thank you very much indeed. I'll let you go because I know you are upset okay. with that, but thank you very much for calling in. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So Patrick feeling there that uh, he had to tell us his side of the story because he, he obviously sitting beside the people and a lot of them lost their lives. Patrick, thank you very much indeed. We'll take a quick break. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. A very good morning if you have just joined us into the last part of the last talking of 2018. Four years ago, Scotland brought in the toughest drink drive rules in the UK. In technical terms, the legal blood alcohol limit was reduced from 80 milligrams of alcohol in 100 milliliters of blood to 50. And the message ever since has been that one drink could be enough to put you over the limit and all the consequences if you get caught. So what effect has it had? Nothing at all, according to researchers at Glasgow University who've been looking into the stats. Professor Jim Lucy has been explaining his findings to Natalie Crawford for Scotland's Talking. We know that there was substantial initial involvement in materials and campaigns uh, to build public awareness about the legislation change, but unfortunately that was not maintained through 2015 and 2016. Could it not be that the legislation was actually just unnecessary? No, I I don't think that at all. Um, What we do know is that um, the risk of having uh, a road traffic accident increases with the amount of alcohol uh, in in the bloodstream. Uh, So, in my view, um, the most plausible explanation is is the lack of enforcement of the, of the, the change in black limit. Lack of enforcement. Alison Douglas is from Alcohol Focus Scotland, which was one of the groups campaigning for the law to be changed. Rob Waller asked her whether it's been a waste of time. There's some evidence that the people who are getting caught for drink driving are drinking significantly above the old limit, never mind the new reduced limits. So those people are persistent and habitual uh, offenders and the only way they're going to change their behaviour is if they really see a, a significant chance of getting caught. If the numbers haven't come down, what do you suggest we do? Police Scotland need to use the powers that they have currently to ensure that the drink drive limit is enforced more effectively. But we do now need to see the UK government giving Scotland the powers to bring in random breath testing. Um, That's the gold standard. That's what's made the big difference in countries like Australia. I think a lot of people will probably hear this today and think, (laughs) what was the point? It was the right thing to reduce the drink drive limit because even drinking any alcohol increases the risk of an accident and increases the risk that any accident will be fatal. 
So it was the right thing to reduce the limits, but we know that unless limits are enforced, then they have limited uh, impact. Then people need to feel that there's a real risk that they're going to be caught and that they are going to be penalised uh, for, for drinking over the limit. That's the missing link here. So the experts and the campaigners are sticking by the change. And it seems that they're blaming the police for not enforcing it enough. As you heard, they also want to go further and bring in random breath tests. Police Scotland say they support the legislation and told us that targeting drink drivers is a key priority. So what are your thoughts? 0333 2020 401 is the number. Should they um, bring in random breath tests? Would that worry you at all? Uh, I had calls this morning also for bringing it to the, the drink drive limit to zero. Um, but I'm not sure whether that is going to make that much difference because, as I think I said, when this level was brought in, if you have habitual drivers, drink drivers, who do it all the time, this limit is not going to stop them doing it. It's not going to happen. Let's go on the phone lines. Ian's here. Hello, Ian. Hi, Ali. What's your thoughts? Well, my thoughts, I think, zero, Ali. I think there shouldn't be any drinking whatsoever. When I say drinking, I'm talking about alcohol. Mm-hmm. Ali, I think that uh, a big person, a wee person, an overweight person, an underweight person, or, or whatever you want to say, everybody's got different limits, Ali. And every drink has got different limits as well. Uh, whether it be shorts or pints, I mean, different different brewers or distilleries have all got different, different contents and everything in their drink. And they say, well, you can do this and you can do that. Surely just... I think a lot of people are very, very confused what they can drink, what they can't drink. Surely the best thing to me, uh, and I, <laughs> I might be being a bit very biased uh, by the fact that I didn't drink anyway. Right. But, but I would say that the, uh, if, it, if it's no drink whatsoever, then you know you're 100% safe. So when, when the blue lights come on and the, and, the, and the boys in blue pull you into the side of the road, you know you're 100% confident that you're going to pass when you blow into the, into the machine. I think a lot of the confusion as well is driving the next morning. That seems to be where uh, a few people get caught out, is that if, you, if they're in an accident, have a puncture, any reason at all, the next morning that the police stop to either assist or because they're involved in an accident. Um, I, I, I seem to hear, particularly from... Uh, people in the police saying that this is a time that people do not consider it. They forget about out drinking the night before and they yep, get in their yep. car first thing Aye. in the morning. I'll go with it all the time, Ali, and, and I, I still see how long does it take for drink to get back out your system again? OK, you can have as many cups of coffee as you want, you can go to the toilet as often as you want, this, that and the other. But surely, if the night before that, that you've not been drinking, I don't, Ali, you never ever know what's in the corner whether it's got to be an accident or a puncture just what you've said here was another thing that Ali that was on the telly was the uh, it was an advert and I think I can't even mind if it was in UK or whatever this guy's sitting in a, a convertible car slugging away a, 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 a bottle and a, a dark coloured bottle and, and it was it was non-alcoholic beer and the uh, and the policeman comes along and says ah, I says, well I've got you now a bit it's okay, it's okay. This is alcoholic free. Uh, no, no, we're doing you for parking. No, it was a bit of a wind up. I've got to admit, but you think that somebody they've just been a wee bit sort of a wee bit of cocky, I would say, sitting at the side of the road, 
Uh, and I said, I know it was a setup because it was an advert for the deli. Yeah. But but just sitting there and just being a wee bit over, just showing off, Ali, that's all it is. Nowadays, Ali, I mean, you've got these high-powered, the, uh, high-powered drinks, we'll no mention any names or anything, but they're coming in and pint cans. Mm-hmm. And you're not supposed to drink in the street or anything like that. If a policeman's got to see that, it's all got to go by the label of what's on, know the shape of the, the vessel, whatever you're slugging it. Ian, thank you very much indeed for your call. Uh, a non-drinker who obviously wouldn't affect him, but has fairly strong views on that. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, Ali. What a rambling wreck he was, Ali. He's how much man should be on the drink. What's your point, Stephen? Well, my point is, Ali, I think you should be raising the limit for drink driving, especially in the morning. And I can see where the statistics are going with this. The drink, the drink driving legislation was brought in it was not to penalise the poor souls and going to work in the, the morning who are just over, Ali. What the government should have done was it should have left the one at night, or between the night time or to a certain limit. But in the morning, they should have raised the bar. They should have raised it up a wee bit. So folk that were just over, they wouldn't be done. Because under the old legislation, they wouldn't have been done anyway, Ali. Right. This is the danger of this. The statistics, they're always going to be high. And how many people, I keep, I keep labouring this point, how many folk have actually been killed, Harley, with drunk drivers? They, they keep going on, drunk drivers, drunk drivers. There's been seven people killed this week with be buses, lorries, knocked down. Seven, I think there's seven alley paper this week. And not one was a drunk driver. See, there's other things that should be prioritised. There should be there's more urgent things mm-hmm. in society, speeding. Folk don't, don't drive, reckless driving, careless driving, or dangerous driving. I mean, there's... A lot of things in the legislation, they should be looking more at the way people are driving. That's what they should be, their priority should be. Not just targeting a poor guy, just maybe half a pint in the morning. They're, they're paying, they're, they're money for the Christmas party. Do you, know, do you know things, uh, Stephen, Stephen, that would confuse the matter even more? It would be very confusing if you had a different limit in the morning than you had during the night or at night time. Yeah. I mean, Ali, but see, at the end of the day, you can't go zero tolerance, a zero tolerance with the alcohol because there's a lot of medication and there's toothpaste and there's, there's folk that make cakes with alcohol and there's loads of things that's got alcohol in it, Ali. So, so it's nonsense to say there should be a zero tolerance. No, I agree, I agree with you. But, hey, we agree. Final show of the year and we're agreeing on something, Stephen. I agree uh, the zero limit wouldn't uh, work. What, 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 I'd like to say something as well. Going back to Nick McGrath, I'd have got caught up in the locker with thing. A lot of folk don't know this, Ali. My brother was caught up in that, and he's never been right to this day. And, and he's tried to get counselling for years, and he still can't get the proper counselling for, for what happened to him nearly 30 years ago. My right. brother was there, Ali. That's what it was with the people the 30th anniversary, is to try and get people, because that pe- town will never, and the folk will never recover from that. It's forgiven, Mick McGrath. We know all about these governments and all these conspiracy theories. We know all about that. Just forget that and concentrate on the people. It's got the, the problems that were all in their heads. That's right, my brother, to open up, Ali. And I can't mm. get to open up. Stephen. Stephen, I know it's 30 years ago. I'm going to have to stop it there simply because of the, the clocks against us. Thank you very much indeed for calling in. That's almost it from us today. Over the well, that's it not only for this week, but for 2018 with Scotland's Talking. But of course, the programme will be back in January.